By the way, in case you haven't heard, my brand new book, Feel Good Productivity, is now out. It is available everywhere books are sold, and it's actually hit the New York Times and also the Sunday Times bestseller list. So thank you to everyone who's already got a copy of the book. If you've read the book already, I would love a review on Amazon. And if you haven't yet checked it out, you may like to check it out. It's available in physical format and also ebook and also audiobook everywhere books are sold. It was a dream. Now that dream became a, a reality in 2003 where I played my first game for the All Blacks. And I thought that I could die the next day and die a happy man because I've achieved everything I dreamed of, of achieving. Today on Deep Dive, it's very exciting because I am joined by the legendary Dan Carter, who is one of the greatest rugby players of all time. And Dan is super famous all around the world, but especially in his home country of New Zealand, where he played for the All Blacks for over 15 years. Every morning I got out of bed, I wanted to be the best rugby player I possibly could. That's what was driving my decision making. Uh, almost each and every day. Now, Dan knows all about performing under pressure, but he's also encountered significant setbacks in his career. And since his retirement from the professional game, he's gone on to become a leader and an advisor and also a writer. We talk about how to overcome setbacks. We talk about how to figure out what your purpose is. And we talk about how to perform well under pressure and become a lifelong winner, of which a big part is defining success for yourself. The most successful people in the world live with pressure every day. So actually, it's not a burden to have pressure in your life. It's a privilege. All those thoughts of why me? Why now? Why such a serious injury? Nothing made sense in my mind at all. Everything had just been taken away from me. Halfway on the journey back to the hotel, I, hey doc, you know, is my World Cup dream over? And she's like, yes. And I just burst into tears. I cried all the way back to the hotel. But then, you know, after a couple of days, I was like, well, hold on, like, you know, what does an all-black great do in situations like this? So my purpose really helped me through, uh, through this, this setback. Right, so recently I've started to think a lot about my health and that's why I'm very excited to say that this episode is brought to you by Huel. Now I've been using Huel since 2017, since my fifth year of medical school, but since interviewing the founder Julian Hearn on this podcast in season one and hearing the origin story of Huel and how it came together, Huel has now become a staple part of my life. Now, if you haven't heard of it, Huel is essentially a meal in a bottle. So each little bottle is like a shake that has 400 calories, 22 grams of protein, and a good balance of carbs and fats and fiber, along with 26 different vitamins and minerals. And obviously when it comes to health, there is nothing that beats the gold standard, which is a healthy, nutritional, freshly prepared meal that has like the perfect balance of all the things. But if you lead a particularly busy or hectic lifestyle, like I sometimes do, it can be hard to make the time in our schedules to get this absolute gold standard meal, which is why I personally like using Huel for those moments of my day or of my life where I don't quite have time to cook. I don't quite have time to like try and go to like a gourmet restaurant and sort of get some kind of healthy meal. I just want something that covers my bases in terms of the macros that I need, and that's pretty tasty as well. The Huel ready to drink bottles come in eight different flavors. My favorite ones are banana and salted caramels. If you find those, you should check those out. And if you're interested in trying these out, then head over to huel.com forward slash deep dive. And with your first order, you'll also get a free shaker if you want the Huel powdered version, and you'll also get a free t-shirt. These are quite nice t-shirts. They fit very well. They make the biceps look a lot bigger. So thank you so much Huel for sponsoring this episode. Now, this season is once again being sponsored very kindly by Trading212. Now, people ask me all the time for investment advice uh, because they see that I've made money and I've made videos talking about where I'm investing that money. The thing that Warren Buffett and basically everyone who's sensible in the space recommends, which is to invest in broad stock market index funds, which you can do completely for free using Trading212. Trading212 is a fantastic app that lets you invest in stocks and shares and funds in a commission-free fashion. And they've got a bunch of features which are really helpful, which is why I personally use Trading212 to manage a portion of my portfolio. So firstly, they've got this 
great pies and auto invest feature. So if you're interested in potentially getting into investing, what you can do is you can browse the different pies that different people have created on the platform. So you might get like a hedge fund trader who's gone onto the platform and has created a pie of investments, having done a bunch of research and stuff. And that pie might be like, I don't know, 20% Apple, 20% Tesla, 10% this, 10% that, but it's generally way more complicated than that. And you can see the performance of that particular pie of stocks and shares and funds. And then if you want to copy that pie into your own account, you can just copy and paste it directly in. And then you can invest any amount of money and it will automatically split it according to the allocation in the pie. So if you wanted to just play around with hundred pounds and you were like, okay, that pie looks good. It will split out that hundred pounds based on the allocations of the pie, which is pretty sick. They've also recently added support for multi-currency accounts. Now this is really helpful because for example, if you invest in the S&P 500, which is a US based index fund, then you won't get hit with all the various foreign exchange fees. If for example, you're investing from the UK like I do. And if you have an invest or an ISA account, then Trading212 also gives you daily interest on your uninvested cash in pounds or euros or US dollars. So if any of that sounds up your street, then do please hit the link in the video description or in the show notes, and that will let you sign up to Trading212. And if you use that link, you will also get a completely free share up to the value of £100. So it's literally free money, so you might as well. So thank you so much Trading212 for sponsoring this episode. This episode is sponsored by Kajabi, and they've actually got something really valuable for all of our deep dive listeners. Now, if you haven't heard of Kajabi, it's basically a platform that helps creators diversify their revenue with courses and membership sites and communities and podcasts and coaching tools. So it's one of the best places for creators and entrepreneurs to build a sustainable business. We started using Kajabi earlier this year, and as soon as we started using it, we were like, oh my God, why haven't we been using this product for the last three years? It's got everything you'd possibly need for running an online course or hosting an online community or building an online coaching business. And it essentially makes it really easy to run your entire online business from payments to marketing tools to analytics. Kajabi has everything that we creators need all in one place. And actually, you don't necessarily need a huge audience to generate a sustainable income. A creator on Kajabi can, for example, make $100,000 by converting just 350 customers a year, depending on your price points. And in fact, there are creators on the platform that are making millions of dollars every year with fewer than 100,000 followers across the social media platforms. We've been using Kajabi to host all of our online courses since the start of 2023, from our $1 part-time YouTuber foundations to help people start off on their YouTube journey, all the way up to our $5,000 package for the part-time YouTuber Accelerator, which gives you access to me and my team. And Kajabi does not take any cut of what you earn. Creators keep and own everything. The way Kajabi makes money is through the monthly subscription fee. And even though we generate like literally millions of dollars every year from Kajabi, we're still only paying them a couple of hundred dollars a year. And actually in their lifetime, Kajabi have paid out over $6 billion to creators, the billion with a B, and over a thousand creators have become millionaires through products on the platform. Now, back in May, 2023, I did a keynote at a Kajabi in real life, Kajabi Heroes event in Austin, Texas. And in that keynote, I talked about the exact steps that I used to grow my business from zero to over two and a half million dollars per year from course revenue alone. Now, people paid for the pretty expensive tickets to watch this keynote at the Kajabi Hero live event. But as an exclusive deal for deep dive listeners, Kajabi have very kindly offered to provide the recording of that keynote completely for free to anyone who listens to this podcast. So if you're interested in getting completely free access to that keynote, just head over to kajabi.com forward slash Ali. That's kajabi.com forward slash A-L-I. And that'll be linked in the show notes and the video description as well. You just enter your email address and then you will get the recording of that keynote completely for free, whether or not you ever become a Kajabi customer. So thank you so much to Kajabi for sponsoring this episode. Dan Carter, welcome to the podcast. Thank you uh, for inviting me. I'm excited uh, you know, to, to, to talk to you today. It should be fun. You've just released this book, Dan Carter, The Art of Winning, 10 Lessons in Leadership, Purpose, and Potential. Um, and I've been going through and highlighting a bunch of bits, um, which I'd love to talk to you about. And hopefully we can get some kind of actionable 
thoughts or takeaways or things that viewers and listeners can think about as they're as they're watching or listening to this episode? How does yeah. that sound? Oh, that sounds great. And then it's a big part of the book. Um, I released an autobiography in 2015 after I played my last game or last international game uh, for the All Blacks. And, you know, I've read a few autobiographies and they're great and really insightful about their career, but I wanted this not to be an autobiography, something that that you can take lessons away from, whether you have a sporting background, whether you're in business or whether you're just, um, you know, just wanting to, to be the best uh, you possibly can each and every day. I feel like there's something in there for this book and it can you know, challenge you to, to to think about where you're at in your life and, and where you want to go. Nice. Yeah, one, one thing I really liked about this is that it's organized thematically, like purpose, resilience, humility, mindset, pressure, all this kind of stuff. And then within that, you do a great job of like weaving, weaving in the stories. But it's also not just about rugby because I didn't really know very much about rugby other than just a very high level thing. But there's, it's so readable and relatable, even as someone who doesn't really follow rugby. And I was just like, oh, this is nice. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Like, um, you know, because because when I did finish playing uh, rugby professionally, I, I realized I needed some help. And I didn't want to just talk to to rugby players that had gone through the same experience uh, that I'd gone through. And, and I talked to, to various uh, former teammates of mine about their process of navigating change um, as they transitioned out of the sport of rugby, and then also talked to uh, some footballers that uh, went on to have successful uh, business careers, but also talked to a lot of uh, successful uh, friends who'd been in, in business and CEO roles, uh, you know, for, for you know big uh, big companies. And you know, when they finished their careers, were navigating change. There were some learnings that that I got from from them as well. So it's uh, you know, it's it's a very sort of general. Not really a, a rugby book. Uh, yeah. So if there are any diehard rugby fans uh, listening to this, I apologise in advance. It's, it's not a whole lot of rugby stories, <laughs> but there's some incredible uh, learnings to to help you on your journey. Amazing. So you start off by talking about the idea of repurposing. And one of the things that really struck me about this first chapter is that you seem to have this this fear of the word retirement. And one line that comes up again is like, washed up, has been, no good anymore. I wonder, how, why, why is the first chapter called Repurposing? Because that's the stage of my life I was in when writing this book. And, and the foundation of this book started um, initially to, to help me through this repurposing of my life. I knew exactly what, I, um, what drove me every morning I got out of bed for close to 20 years. So I played professional rugby for 18 years. And every morning I got out of bed, I wanted to be the best rugby player I possibly could. That's what was driving my decision-making uh, almost each and every day. And then all of a sudden to hang up the boots and then finish playing, I was a little bit lost. Like, who am I if I'm, I'm not uh, a rugby player? And uh, like I just mentioned, I talked to a number of people and, and learned a lot from them. Uh, there was one person that I got put in touch with. Uh, his name is Kevin Roberts. Uh, he's a former CEO of advertising agency Saatchi and & Saatchi and and had worked with teams and and individuals as they navigate change in their life. And when you have a really clear purpose of, of what you want to, to be in life and, and then that changes, you need to go through this repurposing process. So I worked with him uh, for six months and I still use him as a mentor uh, today uh, to help me but we went through this 
this, uh, you know, this exercise of, of repurposing. And it was probably the first time I really looked inwardly uh, for the first time around who am I a, as a person. You know, what are what are my you know characteristics? You know, what what are things um, uh, that really represent uh, who I am? You know, whether that's around my work ethic, whether that's the, the importance of uh, family, you know, whatever it is. That we came up with a list of of those things, and, and then also, you know, what are some of, some of my beliefs? You know, things that have helped me be the person that I am today. Things that you know, I really. Uh, hold myself uh, accountable for. I also looked at things uh, from my past. Um, you know, my professional career. What are the learnings, things that I that I loved and want to use in this next chapter of my life? So all of a sudden, I had some framework because when I finished playing rugby, and I was you know, I was one of the you know the fortunate ones that was able to have uh, a long career uh, of playing professional sport for eighteen years. Um, you know, I was financially stable, so I. You know, didn't need to to rush into a job, and I and I had, I had time on my hands. Um, so I needed to to work out what was going to drive me. What was that thing that that I'm missing um, every morning? I get out of bed, and to be perfectly honest, I'm still working through that. But I now have some framework um, to to help guide me. So when opportunities come my way, I, I can say no because it's not the path and the direction that I'm I'm walking towards, and. Um, and you know, winning all things winning and and leadership is something I'm I'm really uh, really passionate about. Nice, yeah. <clears throat> uh, I'd love I'd love to talk a little bit more about what is your purpose and like how how you're thinking about that now. But I wonder if we can go back to during during the rugby days, um, the sort of the first lesson you have here in your sort of ten lessons in leadership, purpose, and potential is all about finding your purpose and using that purpose to set goals and to inform what you're doing day to day. So I wonder for how, how, we, how did you think about purpose and goal setting when you were doing, when you were doing professional rugby? And then in a little bit, we'll talk about how you're thinking about it now. Yeah, it, it, it's so hard. It's not like you can just click your fingers and go, right, this is my purpose. I was lucky because I stumbled across mine. So as a five-year-old boy, um, Watching the inaugural Rugby World Cup in 1987, um, which was a Rugby World Cup that was co-hosted by Australia and New Zealand, and I was five years old and, and watching the All Blacks play, you know, with my father on TV, and I still remember there was a, a player called John Kerwin, and he caught the ball, and he ran the length of the field, beat eleven Italian players which was the team that they're playing against, and score this incredible try. I went straight out into the backyard uh, trying to implement uh, John Kerr, and I, I wanted to, to, to be just like him. So I continued watching the World Cup. There was another player, Michael Jones, who was a really influ- influential player uh, that played at that World Cup that I wanted to aspire to be. I still remember the captain of the final, David Kirk, lifting the William Webb Ellis Cup above his head. and Something was ingrained in me from that day. That was my dream, was to, to be like them and to be an All Black. Um, I never thought it would actually happen because I grew up in a little country town of only 700 people, and I thought All Blacks were supposed to come from uh, the big cities like Auckland, Wellington, and, and Christchurch, but that was that was a dream. Now, that dream became a, a reality in 2003, where I played my first game for the All Blacks, uh, something I never thought would happen, but um, but it did. 
and I thought that I could die the next day and die a happy man because I've achieved everything uh, I, want, I, I dreamed of, of achieving. But I couldn't be further from the truth. Like when that game finished and I played my first game and my dream became a reality, there was something within me that that wasn't enough. That 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 wasn't my purpose. Mm. It was a dream um, that I was aspiring towards and a goal that I'd, I'd now achieved. But I wanted I wanted more. And as I walked off the field, I was like, I don't want to be just another All Black that plays half a dozen games or two or three seasons for the All Blacks. I want to be I want to be one of the All Black greats, you know, like. John Kerwin that I talked about, and Michael Jones, but also my teenage years, there was Jonah Lomu, Christian Cullen, Andrew Mertens. I wanted to strive to be an all-black great. And from that point on, that that was my purpose. So I went into the changing room. I sat down. I was like, an all-black great? Well, what does that actually mean? You know, it's quite a, a lofty thing. It's something you never actually achieve. Um, but what is, what is an all-black great? So it made me think. So in order to even be in consideration for an all-black great, you need to have a a career in the all-blacks that spans over 10 years. You need to to work harder than all your opposition and all your teammates because there's going to be competition for your position. Uh, So all of a sudden work ethic I knew was going to be a really important part of of my career. I also knew that I needed to grow and evolve because how I play now as a 21-year-old is going to be very different in 10 years' time if I'm still playing um, as a, a 31-year-old. So I need to, to constantly have a growth mindset and, and evolve as a person and, and as a player. So all of a sudden I I sort of learned a little bit about uh, purpose and and what that looked like. But then I, there was something missing and because I couldn't just go on and focus on my purpose each mm. and every day. Yes, it was the thing that was driving me, but I needed structure and I needed to bring that back to the 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 now. Like, What yeah. does that look like? Um, so I soon realized that I needed to look at my season as a whole and set goals of things I wanted to achieve through that season. And in rugby, we have lots of different campaigns, maybe three or four different campaigns throughout a season. So there's no point in me focusing on the campaigns that were at the end of the, the season. I need to focus on the campaign that was directly in front of me. Yeah. Um, and in New Zealand, we'd often play a provincial uh, competition uh, called Super Rugby. So I'm not going to be able to be a great All Black if I don't play well at Super Rugby level because I won't even be selected for the All Blacks. So I would reset goals for for that competition and then I would break it down to to weeks Mm. and then I'd break it down to days. So every Sunday I would plan my week and I'd set goals for that week, what I wanted to achieve and then what I needed to do each and every day on top of the training and and work that we had as, as a player. Like what extra work do I need to do Monday after training? What extra work do I need to do at home, whether it's a stretching session, some some homework around the strategy of the game, a massage, good nutrition plan, all those things. So I knew exactly what I needed to do every day. So when I got to the game, I could just go out and play with freedom because I've done the work. So it's one thing having a, a really clear purpose, but then you need to bring it back to the the structure of what mm. does that look like each and every day. And if you're continuing to to achieve those things, 
um, then you're moving in the right direction. And you're going to have bad weeks. You're going to have bad games. You're going to, um, you know, miss certain parts of your preparation. But at the that Sunday became a really important part of my week schedule where I would review the week that had gone, yeah. what went well, what didn't go well, and I'd always write these things down. And then what do I need to do this week uh, to, to be the best player I possibly can? What really struck me as I was reading this chapter was <clears throat> when, when you break it down like that, it's, it sounds really simple. It's like, well, you just figure out your purpose and you break it down into goals and then you just look at them every week and you just figure out what you're doing each day. And I was just like, damn, like almost no one does that. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually a lot of people have, you know, have either read the book and go, oh my God, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea to actually sort of plan mm. your week. Um, but before you plan your week, you've got to work out like what direction are you are you walking towards and that's yeah. probably the most challenging thing of like working out what it is that that you want to be and achieve um and i knew that i loved rugby so it was a passion once so you got to actually work out what you're good at and and what you love doing mm. and if you have those things then you can start moving in the right direction of what you want to achieve you know what is your uh, your purpose and and this part of, of of your life because it will change uh, at various stages of of your life and you know I experienced that uh, having finished uh, finished playing and it's a thing that you need to to spend time and and think about and and once you have that the power of of personal purpose is you know is really important. You mentioned that initially, like for the throughout your childhood, the goal was to become an all black. And then you get there and then you're like, ah, that's not it. It's to become an all, all black great. And you mentioned that the, the goal of becoming an all black, you, you sort of described it as being a dream or a goal, but not really a purpose. And so I guess, how, how do you see the difference between purpose, dream, goal, vision? Like yeah. it's somewhat semantic, but I'm, I'm really curious about like how you break those things down. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one thing that I've learned is, as a goal is, is something you can achieve. You know, so I've become an all black. I've achieved it, it's ticked. Whereas a really visionary purpose, it's something you strive towards, but you never actually achieve. It's not like I finished my career, I climbed up the mountain, I put a flag in and go, yes, I achieved my purpose of being an all black great. I will never say that I'm an all black great, but if you're in the conversation or other people are talking about it, then clearly you've done something right in in your, um, you know, in, in your in your playing career, so it's it's not actually it doesn't have a, a finish line, is what I'm trying to say. And, yeah. and another one that, that we learned um, as a team, in the All Blacks, we just won the Rugby World Cup in 2011. And like, well, what's going to stop us from subconsciously relaxing the year after winning? You know, what is that? It's like, well, purpose. We need a really clear purpose. Of it's not just about winning another World Cup, or it's not just about being number one team in the world at the moment. So we came up with this uh, purpose of being the most dominant team in the history of world rugby, and it's quite a lofty uh, purpose. Mm. But it's something once you all engage in it. So like, well, what does that look like? And then you break it down to what it looks like, and then the structure to 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 walk towards that. And once again, if we won back-to-back -back World Cups. We won again in 2015. Does that make us the most dominant team in history of world rugby? No, not at all. We never actually achieve it. Yeah. But there's some people talking about, you know, because we're the number one team in the world for nine years straight. 
you know, almost a, a whole decade. So people are going, oh, actually, that All Black team of 2010 to 2019 was, you know, actually, you know, we were in the conversation. Yeah. So clearly we'd achieved something through that uh, that period where we had a really clear purpose of of where we wanted to, to strive towards. Uh, so that's, yeah. that's, that's the kind of lofty vision of, of a purpose compared to a goal where it's it's achievable and then you achieve that and then you move on to the your, your next goal or whatever yeah. it is. So it sounds like the purpose is almost the direction that's the, an, an inspiring direction to move towards. And it's sort of the horizon is like, you're never going to reach it. But like, yep. by virtue of choosing that goal rather than that goal, for example, it just, oh, sorry, that purpose rather than that purpose, it changes the way you approach your goals and then your day-to-day -day life. Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah, and you'll see, yeah. what, you know, um, things that you want to achieve uh, along the journey and, and goals and, you know, your planning and, and preparation uh, as well to, to help you, you know, strive towards that. How important is enjoying the journey? It's 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 hugely important, and and I got a you know a good lesson, you know, in my teenage years where, you know, I knew I wanted to be an all black, and you know, as a five year old boy, you're not thinking of it as a career path because rugby wasn't even professional back then. It was mm -hmm. it was always a dream, and then I'm starting to make a few representative rugby teams, and I'm starting okay, maybe I'm actually okay at this this rugby thing. Um, you know, maybe I should pursue it a little bit harder. So I left my a little country school, Ellesmere College, and and moved to a really rich rugby history high school called Christchurch Boys High. When I was in a big city, it was my last year of high school. I go, this is going to be the stepping stone to me walking towards my goal of being an All Black. Yeah. This is this is going to be a huge part of my career to to keep on the you know the the New Zealand rugby scene because I'm now uh, playing, you know, for uh, uh, you know one of the best uh, rugby schools in, in New Zealand. Mm. So I, I went to the Christchurch Boys High in, in the year 2000. I remember walking down the hallway and I was looking around at all these former All Blacks on the wall, all these trophies that they've won. And as a little country boy, I was it was all too much for me. And it's like no, no, but this is this is your dream to be an All Black. So I was really serious. I was like, right, I'm just going to be the best rugby player I possibly can. It was driving me. had one of the worst seasons I've ever had, and the pressure was too much for me. Uh, I didn't enjoy it. I was too focused on on rugby. And, and I finished high school, and there were a couple of senior rugby clubs that wanted me to go play for them. I was like, I've lost the love of the game. I, I didn't enjoy my last season as a rugby player. It wasn't fun. And I was like, I forgot why I play the game. And it's because I love it and enjoy it. And I wasn't enjoying uh, the game of rugby. So what I did after high school is I didn't play senior rugby. I went and played social rugby with uh, my friends. And it was a, uh, it was a local uh, under-21 competition and I... It was one of the most fun seasons I've ever had. You know, at the stage where we're 18, 19 years old, um, you know, a very social uh, aspect of, of the sport. So, mm. you know, we're, we're playing uh, a fun style of rugby. We're having fun off the field. We're, you know, we're growing as, as teammates and people and developing. It was so much fun. And I was playing some really good rugby again. And that's what I was missing the, the year before. And because I found 
that love of the game again and I was playing for the right reasons, not to try and be an all black, but to actually to to enjoy the, the sport uh, a lot more. I, naturally, I, I started playing some great rugby and then within 18 months, um, I was playing at a Rugby World Cup uh, for, for the All Blacks. <laughs> it all happened really quickly after that. It was a huge learning of... So through my international career, I always put a huge focus on on enjoyment. Like, why do you? What are you enjoying about the week? What are some little elements that you can bring some fun in, into your game? Because that enjoyment and, and love for what you're doing is, is so important. Mm. That's really interesting that you say that. So, so this was something I was thinking as I was reading the book because a lot of it, especially in that first chapter on purpose, is about like figure out the goals, set the thing. And you tell this fun story of when you were like homeschooling your kids oh. during the pandemic. I wonder like, ooh, what was the story there? <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of a shocker on, on my behalf because I was so, so you know, obsessed with structure, goal setting, being the best in the world. Um, and and then obviously the, the global pandemic, I was forced um, back to New Zealand before they closed the borders. I was bouncing from Japan and New Zealand through my the end of my career. And then all of a sudden I, I returned into, you know, pretty serious uh, lockdown with, with my family, had three children, and all of a sudden I was, I was homeschooling. And, you know, my mindset is if we're homeschooling, we're going to run the best homeschooling <laughs> system in the world. This is what it's going to look like. Boys, you're going to get out of bed at this time, you're going to have breakfast at this time, you're going to do mass at this time, you're going to have a little break at this time, you're going to do some science here, you're going to do some reading here, you're going to do some writing, break for lunch at 12.30. And I ran it like a military. And we got to the end of the day. My children were in tears. They were like, this is awful. Like, go away. I was the worst father in the world. And my wife just looked at me and goes, what the hell are you doing? Like, these are children. This is our home. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I just got so caught up in, in my rugby structures. And you know, I forgot that, you know, that they're children. This is home. It's a challenging time. And they weren't having any fun, any fun at all. So, and that, so they, that they weren't uh, learning and didn't want to, to, to be a part of, of my military styled homeschooling. So it lasted one day and then it was thrown out the door. Yeah. Man. <laughs> That's so funny when I read that. I was just like, wow. So my book, uh, the one that I'm, I'm publishing in December, is called Feel Good Productivity. And the whole thesis behind it is that actually high performance productivity, yes, it's about goal setting and stuff, but actually a huge part of it is about making sure you're enjoying the process because if you're enjoying it, then everything else just feels, it's still hard work, but like there's some kind of energy that you get from it. It's like there's something special, you know, more creativity, more productivity, less stress when you're, when you're having fun. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you need to, that's why when you're looking at diving into to what your purpose is, you need to know that um, it's what you love doing and and you're good at it. And if you've got those two things, then you're going to be having fun along the way. And when you have setbacks and disappointments and, um, you know, you'll find elements because of your, your love for what you're doing um, that you will you'll get through those moments and, and and bounce back. So that enjoyment is 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 hugely important. So I'm sure it'll be a fantastic uh, book because the importance of you know having fun and, and enjoyment uh, along the the journey is uh, yeah is hugely important. How do you think about <clears throat> the balance between? And I wonder, I wonder if this is a balance, but the balance between having fun, but also like doing the work when you don't feel like it. 
Because I'm sure there were times where you had to wake up at five to go to the gym and you're like, oh, I don't really feel like it. This isn't really fun anymore. I've got to drag myself out of bed or like a 10 p.m. like swimming recovery session. It's like, oh, I just want to go to bed, but like, or I just want to party. Like yeah. there, there is a a balance here, right? Like how do, you, how do you think about that balance? Absolutely. And that's why it's really important having a clear purpose because, you know, it might be you've just had a really tough game and your body's absolutely battered and bruised and the last thing you want to do is wake up on a Sunday morning and, and go jump in some ice baths, you know. <laughs> um, but then, okay, well, what is your purpose? Oh, to be an all-black great. Well, what would an all-black great do in a moment like this? Would he stay in bed and, you know, go watch uh, a movie or would he actually go and, and do the work? And that's why sort of one of my values was, you know, do what's right when no one's looking. And I think that's a really important value that um, you are doing these things behind the the scenes, um, you know, because your mind can play some, some, some games on you and, you know, you can take the shortcuts, you can, um, you know, do things like not do your recovery mm. and no one will know but you um but that's that's not high performance that's not you know striving and walking towards uh you know your your purpose and, and goal so it's just a, a nice wee reminder of um you know sort of what is what is excellence and, and and you'll be rewarded for that that hard work that you do and that sacrifice that you do when, when no one's looking you'll be rewarded at, at some stage nice um poetry and plumbing what is poetry and plumbing? How does that relate to what we're talking about? Oh, it's a, it's a great analogy that I learned from uh, a very successful entrepreneur, Reid Hoffman, uh, co-founder of, of LinkedIn. And I was lucky enough to to, to interview him. Extremely sort of nervous, recently retired from, from rugby, uh, doing some work for uh, the Oxford University, uh, the Oxford Foundry Entrepreneurship uh, School that, that that's set up and, and helping uh, mentor some of their future leaders, um, and I got asked to, to to interview Reed Hoffman, and he he talked about this analogy, uh, poetry and, and plumbing, plumbing, and it sort of it made me think, and I wrote about it in the book. But the poetry is is similar to, to what we're talking about. You, that's your purpose. That's the the beautiful vision of what you want to achieve and aspire to be towards. But you can't achieve that without the plumbing. The, the the doing, the action, the day-to-day discipline and consistency of doing uh, the work. So it's similar to what I talked about is, you know, when I walked off that field after my first test match, you know, and I wanted to, to be an all-black great. That's the poetry. That's, that's the beautiful thing that I'm aspiring towards. But then I had to break it down to what does it look like each year? What does it look like each week? What does it look like each day? So I've got tangible things that that I'm constantly doing um, each and, and every day to uh, which is the the plumbing to to strive towards uh, you know walking towards that that poetry so it was, it was a great analogy and and he uses that in, in the business sense um, so here I'd use it um, in in sport and now I was learning from one of the you know a fantastic entrepreneur like like Reed is is you know he used that analogy in uh, in business as well, so you know, for example, in a, in a team of business, you you've got a, a team's purpose, what you're all striving towards for the the team to to be successful, and then you've got um, what it is that every single person within that team needs to do each day. 
uh, to keep the wheels in motion, uh, yeah. to, to keep uh, you know driving the the team forward to, towards that that beautiful piece of poetry that uh, you're all striving towards. Yeah, yeah, it's a really nice analogy. That that's what really struck me as I was as I read it for the first time, and I was like, oh, this is such a nice way of sort of laying out the the importance of both aspects of it. And I was thinking in terms of, you know, when I was in medical school, I, in, in a way, my, my purpose at that point was to be the best doctor I can be. Uh, but obviously anyone can have the goal of, or the purpose of draw the vision or whatever of trying to be the best doctor you can be. But fundamentally having, I guess, having the poetry without the plumbing, it's just like a pie in the sky idea. It's just a hallucination. Whereas yeah. what it actually means is like, well, okay, what does that look like day to day? Yeah, you can't have one without the other, and that's the beauty. Well, you can, but you know, if you're just, you know, I often see some people that that don't have the poetry, this dream, this vision, and they're just going through the motions each each and every day, and you know, they settle for mediocrity, and that's that's life. Um, for me, that's not what's driving me. I'm all about uh, you know high performance and and wanting to to be the best version of yourself, you know, that personal growth, you know, how can I get better each and every day? So to to have um, that analogy of, you know, you can't have one uh, without the other is, is a great way of looking at it. What does your, or what data slash, what does your Sunday review process look like? How are you, how are you going about it? I, so obviously it was, it was much easier when I was playing because, you know, we were playing, uh, week in, week out. So you had really sort of clear goals of what you wanted to achieve each week. And then you had your training regime um, of, okay, we you're training Monday, Tuesday, day off Wednesday, train Thursday, Friday, play Saturday, recovery day, Sunday, et cetera. So it was very structured. And then all of a sudden that structure is taken away from you. You're not in the team environment. You're, sit, you're here by yourself. You've got your family. You've got your your little business interests, you've got your portfolio of investments, you've got your your new guideline after repurposing a framework of, of you know what you're, you're inspiring towards and and through that, you know, I was like, oh, I'm just kind of going through the motions a little bit and I suddenly realized, well, you're not actually doing, you know, your journaling, you know, on the, on your Sunday and planning your week. And so I knew that one of my values was to to earn my beer. And, and that's a, a saying that I say, like I get to the weekend, the end of the week, and have I done what I said I was going to do? Because if you have, you burnt yourself a beer. Mm. So um, so well done. So I needed to actually put some things in place on a Sunday to, to make sure that I'm continuing to, to grow uh, as a person and, and, and do things that I'd say I'd do. So now that I don't uh, have rugby in, in my life, I'm still sitting down on a Sunday night, and it's a lot more general. So I'll come up with a with a phrase for the week, you know, which is a bit like a goal, that, um, you know, and it's just something that's I want to get to the end of the week and go. Well, have you lived what you said you're going to live? And then below that, um, I would have, um, you know, a couple of sort of one liners. You know, make sure you're you're really present when you're at home with the family. Uh, be nice and, and keep smiling this week. Yeah. Um, just really simple sort of one-liners to to kind of guide me back to uh, the phrase that's, that's driving me for that week. I also understand that uh, for me, you know, being a former uh, athlete, that I the importance 
for for my well-being is exercise. I need I need to exercise. So I'd often set goals that I want to achieve for the week, whether it's okay, I need to do five training sessions uh, this week and stipulate what they are and, and when they are. Um, so I make sure that I achieve that by the end of the week. I did what I said I was going to do. Mm. And then each day on the other side of the page, I write three things that I'm grateful for. Just uh, so I have a, a, grat- a gratitude book, which is right next to to, to my uh, week plan of what I'm trying to set out to do. And just really simple things, you know, like, you know, grateful to have uh you know, nutritional food for the family and I to, to eat. Uh, grateful for, you know, the sun shining today. Yeah, grateful to be able to spend time with my youngest son, Cruz, uh, you know, for the morning, whatever it is. Really, I often repeat, it's just a nice way to bring me sort of back down to earth and then focus on, you know, things, um, you know, things that I have. Uh, not that are not the things that, that I don't have, yeah. and then get to the end of the week. I kind of review the week. Did I do the things that I said I was going to do? Did I do my exercise? Did I did I live? Um, you know, uh, uh, the values that I, I wrote out, and um, and then did I own my beer? Yes, <laughs> or did I not? Okay, well, and and it, it's not all perfect. You know, I have weeks that I, I you know don't write things in, or I'm traveling, or whatever, but. I find when I do have that structure, it, uh, it really sort of helps me know that I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. That's really cool. And, and and do you do this in like a physical journal or in some kind of app or like? I'm quite old the, school. Yeah. Um, so you often see even at the end of my career, all the, the um, yeah, a lot of my younger teammates were, all, you know, their iPads and uh, doing a, a digital version of their their goals and yeah. and. Uh, week planning where I'm old school, I need pen and paper. As soon as I put pen and paper, it holds me accountable. Like I'm writing it down and if I'm writing it down, I need to do this because I get to the end of the week and I review and if I've written it down and I haven't done it, you know, I feel like I've let myself down. You know, I'm, I'm either getting lazy or you know, I'm quite hard on myself and there's no better feeling than than achieving and, and doing things that you set out uh, to do, even yeah. if it is uh, you know, the most simple and the basic Things and and with that uh, breeds uh, you know consistency uh, and discipline uh, are two things that uh, that can go pretty easy uh, in your life. You know you can be motivated and do something really good for a month and then it kind of dies off. Um, with this routine and this structure, is it really teaches me discipline. Last thing, I might be hungover or I might not want to do this on a Sunday night, but that discipline of actually opening up my book and writing it down, it only takes 15 minutes, but that discipline of doing that is, is really sort of beneficial and, and, and helps me. And then the consistency uh, to do it, um, you know, there's, each week is, is another yeah. know, great thing to, to have. Ah, this is so good. I, I think I first came across the idea of weekly doing a weekly review in like 2015 when I read some productivity book. And I was like, yeah. And I did it like three times. And then over the last like eight years, I've done it maybe like 10 times in my life. And I'm like, every time I do it, I'm like, oh, it's it's really helpful to do a weekly review and to just think, what are the three things I want to achieve next week? And then I just forget. I forget to look at it. Something comes up. And yeah. Oh, it's so easy. It's so easy to be distracted. And, you know, I, I you know, I mentor a couple of uh, sort of younger athletes and there's a, a rugby league player that I caught up with recently in uh, in Sydney, and we just caught up for a coffee, and he was going through a bit of a you know tough spot in terms of his form and things like that. And I just kind of asked him because we'd been you know, talking for about eighteen months, and you know he was very sort of disciplined. And and I was like, was there anything you're not doing that you're doing last year? He goes, yeah. he thought about it. He goes, oh, actually, I kind of got a bit slack on my 
you know, my week planning and journaling and and it was just something so basic and so something that just kind of dropped off, you know, the busier you get, um, you know, that's probably one of the things that can can drop off pretty quickly. Mm. And to be honest, it's quite hard for me with four children to, <laughs> to have that time to, to be able to, to do that. And, and like I said, I, I have good weeks, I have bad weeks. You know, some weeks I won't write anything and I'll kind of, you know, just not quite nail it. And that's the first thing I realise. Like if I go back to that, I have structure, I have discipline, I have consistency and, and it helps me. And sure enough, the, the rugby league player I was mentoring, he got back into it and he was like, thank you so much. That was the missing piece of the puzzle this year. I, I just he used to take time each morning where he'd just grab his coffee and just a little bit of one-on-one time with himself mm. and, and you know, kind of jot down his, his thoughts and things that he, he, he wanted to... Uh, you know, wanted to achieve for the week. It was something so simple, but it's, yeah. it can be something that drops off uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, that's such a game changer. So then, when when you do this, are you are you looking at it every day as well to figure out like what did I say in my weekly plan? Well, because and, yeah. um, because I've got the daily gratitude. Just you know, I can kind of just flick across to the next page and okay, it's just a, just a little constant yeah. reminder. But the big review is more at the end of the week on the Sunday, uh, where I get a general feel for the. Uh, general feel for the week yeah. and whether it was a successful one or or actually I need to, to work a bit harder the, the following week and, and that sets you up for the, the week ahead. Man, this is so inspiring. I'm going, all right, I'm going <laughs> to commit to this. <laughs> this is just like game-changing stuff. Um, one of the things you t- I think towards the end of the book, you have a phrase which is that purpose is selfish. I wonder what do you, what do you mean by that? Uh, yeah, purpose can be quite selfish because it's something that you – you know, it's very aspirational. It's it's you know, it's personal purpose. It's, it's what um, what it means. It means uh, to you, and what what's striving you. Like I said, um, each and every day, I was getting out of bed. Um, and what does what does an all black great do today? You know, he works hard. He's at the training f- field, and you know, I was setting those goals and things early in my career as a you know, in your, in your early twenties, and, and then as life evolves. Um, you know, you start to have family, you start to have children, and here I was on this this journey of you know, striving towards greatness. And you know, I kind of had my blinkers on at times, where you know I was forgetting uh, about the importance of you know family, spending time with them, because I was so focused on 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 my rugby and what I wanted to achieve in, in rugby. So it can be a, a really are really selfish things at, at times where a lot of the, your decision making is <clears throat> is about yourself and what you want to achieve. But I think that's important, um, you know, that, that you have that, but you find little pockets to be able to um, you know, interact with, with other things that are really important to you uh, as well. Mm. So it's not 24-7, you're, you're focusing on, on rugby and what ever that is that is driving you you know you, you need balance in, in your life and I guess at times I didn't I didn't have uh, you know the, the best balance in your so you know you've, you've gotten to know a lot of really high performers you've interviewed them you've become friends with them have you met anyone who you feel has a good balance between striving for high performance and also having a very balanced and healthy sort of personal life family life <laughs> um, it's it's really hard to to engage um, you know, you, you kind of meet someone and you have assumptions that they're really good um, at life outside of what, what they're known for. But and unless you really know them closely as, as a friend, you know, you know, a lot of people will say, okay, well, 
Dan Carty's really successful with what he achieved in rugby and life after rugby, and yeah, he looks like a pretty you know pretty good uh, you know father as well. Whereas something I learned was I was so focused on rugby that I thought providing for my family was signing you know lucrative contracts overseas and playing in France and trying to win competitions in Europe and then going to Japan trying to win Japan competitions and you know what part of that is you know being a good father when you know your children they just want you around they don't really care so can you have can you be the world's best father and the world's you know best athlete you know that's that's the what I was really struggling with I wanted to, but I felt like I, I couldn't. And um, you know, often I'd come home and I had a bad game or you know, didn't, didn't perform as well on the training field as I would have liked. And I'd, I was taking work home uh, with me, and mm-hmm. you know, wasn't being as present as I should have been at home. So I was struggling to to have that balance of adapting sort of one to the other. And you know, there were times where I actually just needed to turn off my phone or just give myself a little pep talk before walking in the door at home. So, okay, just leave that until tomorrow. Um, and, you know, just be present and, and you know, being the best father isn't necessarily mean that like, stop everything to, to be a stay-at-home father. You mm. know, it's just more about sort of engaging and, and being present. So it was a huge learning Huge learning uh, for me, and uh, you know, it's still something I need to work, uh, you know, hard on because yeah. it's, it's it's not easy. Yeah, one one thing that um, my CEO coach does is he sets alarms on his phone. So, like at five thirty in the morning, he said his alarm goes off and it says "world's best athlete" or something. So he's like, right, I'm in that mode. He goes to the gym and stuff, and then it's "world's best coach" because that's his work. And then at like six p.m., the alarm goes off and says "world's best father and husband," and just seeing that you know he says for him sort of reminds him it's like okay on the doorstep cool changing gears now forget about work focus on presence and it sounds like he found a strategy like that similar uh, well, well, I'm still, I know the importance of it I'm still mm. struggling with it a little bit and I love that constant reminder that he's getting as you can tell I love structure so I need things uh, in my life like uh, like your your coach has mm. so um, I might have to use that tool to be honest. It was great. Have you have you found any other strategies that have been helpful in getting getting the balance between performance and like family? Uh, I I think you know. So I was really focused on rugby, and then the pandemic, and I was in the you know lockdown with children, where it was like one extreme to the other, and I w- was kind of struggling. Because I'm kind of the the mentality of, of I'm all in on one thing or another, mm. and I was struggling to do little parts of of things here and there. So um, I went to the other extreme. Okay, well I can't play rugby now because there's no sport. Um, right, I'm gonna you know be really engaged with the family, sort of help out, do everything, and then things started to open up, and then I went straight back to to work. Okay, I can travel now. I can look after my sponsors, and I'm like, oh, and I kind of was bouncing between one or one or the other. So it was just, just sort of constant reminders. Putting that week planning was really important, you know. So I know, okay, well, Wednesday, it's you know, I don't have a lot of work on Wednesday, so I'm coaching my son's uh, rugby team. So you know, that's a great way to to connect with him. So mm-hmm. just having little pockets similar to. To, to to what your coach was saying and just you know just nailing each sort of moment that that you're in and uh, not drifting nice that's great stuff um i wonder if we can turn to the idea of pressure 
And one of the lines that you say in the book is pressure is a privilege. I don't know, what do you what do you mean by that? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's something that, you know, we had to change our mindset on as a, as a rugby team. We loved dominating teams and beating them by 30 or 40 points. And we were good at doing that. We're the number one team in the world, uh, 2005, six and seven, going into Rugby World Cup. And all of a sudden, we were put under excruciating amounts of pressure by a French team in a quarterfinal and we didn't want to be there. And it was a burden. Like as soon as the game got tight and tough, we 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 didn't want to be in those moments. We wanted to be beating teams uh, quite convincingly. Um, so what we did is what historically has happened in in New Zealand rugby history is the pinnacle of, of rugby is, is a Rugby World Cup, which comes around once every four years. And we won the inaugural Rugby World Cup back in 1987, as I talked about as a five-year-old boy. And then often, four years later, you know, probably be you know the favourites to win the next Rugby World Cup. And then we wouldn't win. And then, you know, we'd be favourites to win the next one. We wouldn't win. And it had gone on for 20 years. Yeah. So what would happen is if the, the All Blacks didn't win a Rugby World Cup, the coaches would get fired and you get a new set of coaches in and they've got a four-year journey to win a Rugby World Cup. If they're unsuccessful, they'd get fired and you won. And it went yeah. on for, for 20, um, 20 years. It was incredible. So we're number one team in the world, 2005, six, and seven. We went to the Rugby World Cup. Um, we lost uh, in the quarterfinal to France. Couldn't deal with the pressure. Um, they had a heroic performance against us and and won. So what I thought would happen is they get rid of the coaches and we get a new set of coaches. They come in and you know we work towards the 2011 Rugby World Cup. Credit to New Zealand Rugby, they reappointed the the coaches and they said, look, you you need to learn why you were the worst performing All Black side in the history of the World Cups. We knocked out the quarterfinal. And it was a really bold move by the, the rugby union. <clears throat> so they kept the, the coaches, uh, Graham Henry, uh, Wayne Smith and Steve Hansen. And their job alongside the, the leadership team and, um, was to, to learn what went wrong. What was it? And we soon realised that we were amazing athletes at that World Cup, great rugby players. Um, we were spending so much time in the gym, we were spending so much time on the on the training field, but we weren't spending time on our mental strength. Mm-hmm. And that was the probably the thing that, that was missing. So we had a head um, psychologist in, in Gilbert Anoka. He went in and got some help uh, with the forensic psychologist, Kerry Evans. And we started to 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 learn more about how our our brain uh, functions are under pressure, mm. um, but we needed to change our mindset around pressure, and we needed to 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 realize that. Oh, actually, and we soon realized that the most successful people in the world live with pressure every day. So actually, it's not a burden to have pressure in your life. It's a privilege. We're one of the privileged few because every time we train and play, there's pressure. Whenever you play for the All Blacks, there's so much amount of pressure that um, you know you're expected to win every time you, you put on the black jersey. But we're one of the lucky ones. You know, we we live with pressure every day. 
So we we wanted to to walk towards pressure. We wanted to embrace pressure. We wanted to have pressure every time we trained because mm. we knew in order to be successful and achieve greatness that we needed to perform in those pressure situations. So our mindset was actually pressure is a privilege. It's uh, if you've got pressure, there's two types of pressure. You know, there's a homeless person that has pressure trying to find food every day or there's high performance pressure, whether that's in business or sport. Um, and we're focusing on the high performance pressure. And to have that pressure in your life, it's a privilege. You walk towards it, you embrace it, you have the right tools mm. to be able to perform in those moments. That's when you start achieving your goals. That's start, when you start um you know, doing things that you've you've set out to do. That's when you know you're on the verge of, of greatness. So it's uh, it was an amazing thing that we changed. Um, so after 2007 World Cup, we spent a lot of time around learning what our mind does when it's under pressure, um, and we soon came up with this uh, analogy that Kerry Evans uh, taught us. It's a bit around redhead and bluehead. So when you're under pressure. Um, often you go into a state of redhead. So you become distracted, you're off task, you're not clear, you're poor communication, you're not decisive, and you're distracted and you're not performing in those moments. Whereas on the flip side, when you're in a state of bluehead, it's really, you're really calm, you're decisive, you're clear, great communication, you're on task, you're living in the moment. Um, and that's where you wanted to to live the majority of of your your time when you're under pressure. And when you're in a state of redhead, you can do one of three things: you can freeze, fight, or flight. And everyone's different um, in in those situations. So you needed to to learn what state do you go into when you go into a state of redhead. Freeze is the state that I used to go in, mm. and as the I played in the number 10 jersey uh, for rugby, and that's like the quarterback. You're making all the decisions, you're attacking strategy, you're communicating, you're telling the rest of the team uh, the structure and, and the call for, for what you're trying to do. So if I'm in a state of freeze, that means I go quiet, I go within myself, mm. and I become a really poor communicator. So it's a really dangerous position to be in. Yeah. Uh, there's freeze, there's fight. So you can go into a state of fight. And uh, a lot of my teammates were going to a state of fight. So they're off task, they're under pressure, they're yelling at the referee, they're yelling at their teammates, they're actually physically trying to fight the opposition. They're of no value to the team when they're in that red-headed state of, yeah. of fight. Or there's flight. You just want to get out of there. Mm-hmm. You know, so we all know sort of some teammates that, oh, I've got a bit of an injury, I, I don't want to be in this moment, I'd rather be on the sideline watching. I, I don't. So they just want to get the get out of there. They don't want to be in that moment. Yeah. So once you learn what state you go into, and we also learn about what state our teammates go into so you can help them <clears throat> get back into the blue head. Yeah. So it's unrealistic that you'll never go through a game of rugby where you don't go into a state of redhead. Mm. But instead of staying in a state of redhead for five minutes, you're running around because you're – you're angry about you know missing the tackle or dropping the ball or a referee decision, you recognize that you're in the state of redhead and you have tools to get you back into the blue. Something as simple as breathing, recognizing that you're in the red 
and getting you back to the blue. So everyone has uh, different tools and Kerry Evans and Gilbert and Oka were helping players with finding tools. One of the tools that I had was slapping myself on the leg. I'd drop a kick, I'd be running around going, oh, I can't put it. Oh, sorry, dropping the ball, not dropping a kick. Uh, dropping the ball, I'll be running around going, oh, I let the team down. Why did I drop the ball? I have to make up for it. I go, Hold on, that's not helping the team thinking about what just happened. I'll slap myself on the leg and I go, right, what do I need to do now? Yeah. Okay, catch the ball, pass, talk to the number nine. So it brings you back to the here and now. So you're really present and you become really task-focused. And once you become task-focused, you're really clear and decisive and calm again. So um, you're back into a state of blue head. So once you have that education and that learning, you need to bring it into your day-to-day life. So all of a sudden, after 2007, 2008, 9, 10, and 11, our trainings were so much more intense. Our coaches were trying to manipulate us to get us into the red as yeah. much as possible. They would get referees to come into training and blatantly cheat. So we start yelling at him to get us distracted. And it was all just a tactic to trying to teach us the tools to get back into the blue, to stay calm, to split, to stay on task. Um, or else they might, you know, randomly send guys off training. So no, no yellow card, you're off for no reason. Um, they'll make us sprint from one position to another. So the intensity of training was so much harder. The games became easy. Um, but we knew that we we needed to live and embrace and live in these these high pressure situations. So when it came to game time, we we were used to to dealing with it. So fast forward four years from 2007 when we got knocked down the quarter final, we're up in the World Cup final. Haven't won a World Cup in 24 years at home in New Zealand against the French again, <laughs> and they were putting in a heroic performance. Yeah. And we were winning 8-7 on the scoreboard. It was so close. They had all the momentum. And instead of the players on the field, you know, being in a state of freeze, fight, or flight, which happened in 2007, Mm. the guys loved being in that environment. They had great eye contact, great body language, really clear lines of communication. They knew in order to win a World Cup – that they had to be in, in moments like this. So they embraced it and, and they absolutely love being in that uh, that situation because we've been working so hard for the, you know, the last four years for that moment. And and we went on to, to win that World Cup, first time in 24 years. And a lot of it was off the back of um, having the right tools to, to deal with pressure and spending time on our mental strength and controlling controlling our mind it was uh it was a huge learning i wish we spent more time uh you know on the psychology of controlling our, our mind earlier in our, our career because there was some real real growth on in that and you know we went on to win another world cup as, as well after that and a lot of it was off the the back of that learning around being able to perform under pressure mm. that's so good like I think a lot of people, when the conversation turns to mindset or psychology, they start to be like, oh, this is all just fluff, like, screw that. Like, <laughs> I guess you've got a different a different view of it. Well, no, initially it was very similar to, to that. Mm. So when I started playing in the early 2000s, and we, we always had a, uh, psychology, a psychologist sorry, um, as part of the team, but if you were spending time with a psychologist, um, your teammates are looking at you going, mate, you're okay, you're a bit weird. Um, you're not supposed to be seeing him. You're supposed to just roll up your sleeves and, and just get on with it. Yeah. And 
Um, so he was doing work with the team, but not really doing any work on one-on-one basis. Mm. So you wouldn't spend time um, with with the psychologist. Um, fast forward to the end of my career, if you weren't seeing the psychologist, everyone's looking at you going, well, why? Why aren't you seeing him? You want to be the best rugby player? You want to be the best teammate? Here's an incredible tool to help you be the best um, person, best rugby player you possibly can. So the the difference between the start and end of my career around you know, the the mindset of, of using the psychologists were completely different. And people go, well, you had a great career. If you could do anything differently through your career, what would it be? And, you know, I merely go, look, you know, the, the disappointments, you know, the learning that was just part of the journey. But if there was one thing, I would have loved to have used the psychologists from, from day one of my mm. career. It wasn't until the back end of my career or the second half of my career that I, I started uh, using him a lot more. And that's where I saw a, a lot more growth in, in my game. Oh, wow. So what sort of stuff, like, let's say you're doing a one-on-one session with a psychologist. What's happening in the session that's helping an elite athlete level up? Well, you need to, to to live in the in the present, <clears throat> so controlling your mind to make sure you're not focusing on things you can't control. Mm. Far too often we spend too much time worrying about the outcome, um, and we forget about the process. The process and the outcome will take care of itself. So it's a constant reminder of what does your structure look like, and it might be a, a really important uh, game this weekend that, that means a, a lot more. And all you're thinking about is, oh, man, I hope we don't lose or we have to win. Otherwise, yeah. New Zealand's going to go to a, to a minor state of depression if the All Blacks <laughs> don't win a World Cup. And that's actually something that happens after uh, Rugby World Cups. Yeah. If, we, if we don't win, so there's all sorts of pressure. And all of a sudden, you're focusing on the outcome. So he is really good at bringing you back to what do you need the process? Like, What do you need to do now? And then you'll go away from a session like that with really – uh, clear focus and every now and then you'll find your mind drifting um, and you oh, that's right I got to bring back a, I've written down a plan of like what I need to do each hour and I bring back to the here and now so they just remind you of what you're focusing on they also um, spend a lot of time on having the right tools to control your mind so a lot around the the redhead blue head um, so we spend a lot of time of like working uh, what state you go into and what you can do to bring you back into the to the blue head as well. Um, but often it's just someone to talk to, mm. you know, about the, the pressures of life. I've used them for, you know, stuff isn't going well off the field, just someone to, to kind of know that they're there to help um, and, and just going to, to, to talk to them. And, um, you know, it was, it was always, uh, you know, really energetic thing. You walk out of, you know, uh, a coffee or a cup of tea uh, with a psychologist and you're just, you're just talking and yeah. you walk out like really energized, okay, right, really f- refocused and, and really sort of excited about, uh, you know, what the rest of that week looks like. Mm. There's a phrase I heard recently, which is that um, if you ever hire a coach, the more expensive the coach gets, the less practical the advice becomes and the more <laughs> and the more about psychology and about mindset and about like emotions and all of that kind of stuff it becomes because i'm sure like you know like yeah like you know a lot of the ceo coaches i know who are being paid like tens of thousands of dollars per hour it's not really about business strategy it's about controlling your mind controlling your emotions 
and people just get so much value out of that. Oh, that's that's the biggest um, sort of growth in, in in sport that that I've seen. So a lot of teams are they're training pretty much the same in the gym or on the training field. It's it's that <clears throat> team that that has the you know the culture and also the the mindset to 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 want to be the best. And if you're not on every single game, mm. then even if you're just two percent off. Um, mentally, yeah. you can get beaten by thirty points. It is just that that little, you know, subconsciously you relax, or you haven't prepared in the right way, or you don't have that mental edge mm. um, that you did the previous week. Then it's a really dangerous, uh, you know, place to be. So having, you know, mental skills coaches to to help make sure that there is edge in in your preparation. There's uh, real genuine preparation that's going in as well. You're not just ticking boxes. You, you're doing it for the right reasons. And yeah, there's a, a lot of growth that, that comes. Uh, it comes with you know working with a you know a mental skills coach. What's the culture around talking about feelings and emotions and stuff? Because I imagine like group of lads, the All Blacks, are sort of like <laughs> you know all these guys are absolutely jacked. Um, the whole like uh, narratives around masculinity and stuff tends to underplay talking about feelings, talking about emotions. Is that something that that you guys have dealt with? It's something that's evolved. Um, the importance of you know the players' uh, well-being is is you know it's a priority in uh, in a team like the All Blacks. And you know, once again, like when I first started, it's something you don't you don't show your emotions. You, you know, you just kind of like I said, you roll your sleeves up and, yeah. and just get on with it. Um, you know, it's the masculine thing to do. Rugby's a masculine sport. You go out there, you go to war, you bash each other, and then you have a, a beer afterwards, and yeah, it's a it's a bloody good week, mate. And um, whereas now I've, I've seen, you know, player driven, um, you know, sort of wellness groups where the, you know they sit down around a bowl of kava. I'm not sure if you know what kava is. It's like a the champagne type thing. No, no, <laughs> kava's like a. Um, you get it a lot in the Pacific Islands, right. Fiji, Samoa, Tonga. Um, it's a it's a root vegetable that's ground down to yeah. an, and it tastes and looks like muddy water. Okay. You kind of sit down. It's a traditional thing that the Pacific Islanders uh, do, and you just you just kind of sitting around and you are just playing the guitar and you just actually end up you know talking uh, about about anything, mm. um, and you know sort of spending spending a lot more time, um, yeah, just just talking a lot more openly uh, than we used to. Mm. And I think the younger generation, the millennials in the, in the team in particular, they're, they're a lot more sort of open and, and sensitive to, to to those kind of conversations where sort of my era is something that you just, you'd, you'd never do. Yeah. You know, you'd never ask a mate, oh, how are you feeling? Because you know the answer would be, yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the end of the conversation. We're quite, it's a lot more open. And, and also as a management group, you know, spending – much more time on working on the individual. Mm. So another value that we had in the All Blacks was um, better people make better All Blacks. Um, so far too often in, in the history, we'd focus on um, trying to be uh, the best. The product is the rugby player. You know, there's no sort of human element. We just want you to be the best rugby player. Yeah. But we soon realized actually if we work out who you are, um, the person, if we can better you as a person, 
you know, help you connect with your family, help you be a better citizen, um, make you feel like you've got a real sense of belonging in this environment. We care about your family. We understand how many children you have, who you're married to, what village you grew up in, what um, what culture you come from, and we celebrate that. Then that's an environment where we're helping you as a person. And if we're helping you as a person, mm-hmm. the end result is you being a better all black. Yeah. You know, because you've got the sense of belonging, you're like a family, you want to you want to repay the the management, the coaches, your teammates that really care about you as a person. Like, well, actually, you know, that helps me feel a lot more comfortable. I'm gonna go out there and be the, be this yeah. be the best rugby player I possibly can. So better people will make better all blacks or something that we live by. Just on the note, so you, so you mentioned family. One one thing that we're struggling with in in our team in the business, and I know a lot of people struggle with this as well, is the balance between, hey, we're one big happy family where we're all out looking out for each other and no one ever gets fired, versus we're a team where you're always kind of competing for your place on the team because you know that if you're underperforming, someone else is like you're letting the team down. How do you guys think about the balance between the family vibes and the this is a high, high performance sports team? Yeah, it's it's really it's a, it's a great question because some of the meetings that I've been in uh, were leadership meetings, uh, meetings with the leadership group and the coaches have been quite quite challenging in terms of huge debates, you know, um, because as New Zealanders. We at times avoid conflict. We just want everything to be happy families. Everything's great. Yeah. This is good. But in order to to have growth, I think you need to have hard conversations. Um, you need to to push your case and debate things. Um, you need to be challenging the way we're doing things. Constantly looking to evolve. If you don't. <laughs> believe in, in in an idea or game plan you need to to lay down your debate you know why give an alternative um, have really be vulnerable and have really uh, open conversations so we used to have this thing in the all blacks um, when you needed to have one of those conversations the difficult ones that we often shy away from um, it's called entering the danger so I'd say hey, um, can I can I enter the danger with you so therefore you knew straight away that it was nothing personal. Yeah. I'm not having this conversation because I don't like you. I'm mm. having this conversation because I care so much about this team and I want us together to be successful and the greatest rugby team in, in the world. So yeah. I into the danger. Hey, I don't like the way you did this. Or, hey, I think you know we could look at a different way of, of doing this. So I'd have one of those uncomfortable conversations with you. So we entered the danger and we would debate – um, things, but the key at the end of that that meeting or that conversation mm. is whether you agreed or not. You need to commit to one, and then be aligned and walk out of that together. Yeah, because the dangers of um, not agreeing and then committing to one, and it wasn't your idea that you go away to your little subgroup and yep. go, oh, mate, this is what we're doing, but don't you wish we were doing this? And it could be like a, like a disease, really yeah. infectious and and not uh, helpful of, of the team team culture. So the importance of you know high performance, making sure that all the decisions that you make is what's best for the team and know that 
it's not what's the decision is not what best for the individual. Mm. It really helps grow that uh, that high performing team team culture. So I don't take it personally if yeah. if you don't <laughs> like what I say or agree with what I say. Um, but you're prepared to, to challenge me on that because you think that that's what's best for the for the team. So that real team first mentality helps helps nurture and, and grow those those difficult conversations that often we. We uh, we shy away from, and often we found we were when we were having those those difficult, challenging conversations is when we were getting growth. Whereas if we weren't performing that well, and it's often because we were shying away from um, from those you know, those difficult conversations, and we were kind of bullshitting ourselves. Mm. So oh, you know, everything's fine, everything's good. Oh, it'll be okay. I oh, will sort it out later. Whatever yeah. it was, and it would come back to to bite you in the ass. <coughs> So changing gears a bit. So you've you've had, you know, a highly illustrious career. You've had your face slapped on newspapers and magazines and like International Rugby Player of the Year and all that kind of stuff. How have you ever struggled with humility and staying grounded in the light of all of this success? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's a huge value of mine and 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 also the All Blacks is to just to remind yourself who you are and where you come from. And through all the success and accolades, um, you know, you, you can be challenged on uh, not getting too far ahead of yourself. So I'm, uh, it's really important for me to have a really close group of friends and family that would, uh, you know, call um, call me out when I was getting a little bit ahead of myself and thought I was a bit better than I actually was. Uh, after... Every good game I'd have for the All Blacks, the the All Black uh, New Zealand Rugby CEO would often find me at the the after match function, and he'd always just kick me on my feet. He just kick <laughs> kick my shoes. Okay. First time he did, I was like, "What are you doing?" He goes, "I'm just making sure your feet are still on the ground." And it was just a little constant reminder, just you know, great game, um, but just don't get ahead of yourself. You know, just continue to to remember that you wouldn't be able to do that without your teammates and and. You know the the hard work doesn't stop now, but you know there, there's been occasions where I made you know poor decisions. Um, just got a got a little bit ahead of myself. Thought I was a little bit better than than I than I was. And this this world's got a beautiful way of sort of bringing you bringing you back <laughs> down to earth uh, when you make poor decisions or, or you think that you are better than you you actually are. So it's uh yeah it, it's a really important uh, important value of you know, humility and you know, surrounding yourself with the right people that, you know, often when I'd go and have a drink with, um, you know, my high school friends or primary school friends that knew me before I play rugby, I might have a fantastic game. Might kick 90%, kick nine goals out of 10. I can assure you my close mates are telling me about the one I missed, not the <laughs> nine that I got. Um, whereas, you know, people that, you know, want to be with you because of what you've achieved. They'll only give you accolades uh, about the nine kicks that you got and how great you are and you know, that's that's not helpful. Mm. Yeah. Um, one of the chapters is about um, resilience and dealing with setbacks. And you've had a bunch of setbacks in your career with like injuries and, and things like that. And I know that, you know, anyone listening to this or watching this will have also experienced major or minor setbacks in their life where they've maybe had a goal or a vision or a purpose to work towards and then the universe has dropped a piano on them and like something is something bad has happened 
in, I guess, in your world, you know, the, the world of, of, of elite high performance, what are some strategies that you and, and your team have found helpful for dealing with dealing with setbacks? Yeah, it's it's hugely important, uh, particularly in, in today's you know today's world. You need to understand we don't live in a a, a perfect world. There's going to be disappointments. There's going to be setbacks. You're not going to achieve every single goal you set out to achieve. But having the right tools to to deal with those situations can be a huge advantage. Give you so much motivation. Give you real strength and desire to. Um, you know, to to learn from those learn from those moments. So a lot of people look at my career and just focus on the success. But I firmly believe the person I am today is not because of the trophies that I've won or the the accolades that I get. It's it's because of the the difficult times, the setbacks that I've had, and that you know the things that not many people sort of know or, or learn about. And that's what I you know wanted to to share in the chapter in my book around resilience and having the right tools to deal with resilience so there's an amazing um you know story that that i tell that i used to hate to talk about oh, yeah. because it was at the 2011 rugby world cup where we we went on to win it um and i'd been the vice captain of the team for three years behind the great richie mccaw but i'd never captain the all blacks um, whenever he wouldn't play i wouldn't play for whatever reason but in the last round robin game of the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand, I got the phone call the day before the game, the last round robin game, to captain the All Blacks. Mm. <clears throat> One of the best uh, phone calls that, that I've had. And, of course, I said yes. Richie McCall pulled out late with a little niggling injury. And here I was, really proud moment uh, to, to captain the All Blacks for the first time. So I went off to the, the press conference the day before the game. Uh, to talk to the media about how proud I was to finally captain uh, the All Blacks. What a special moment it was for my family and I. Went off to our final training run, uh, which is called the captain's run, which is the captain gets to decide what you do. So it's quite a proud moment. It's mm. feeling good. It's been a great day for me. Uh, we went through the captain's run. I always finish the captain's run with a few shots at goal. Um, and I've been kicking goals ever since I could walk. Dad taught me to kick with both feet as soon as I could walk. So I've kicked millions of kicks in my life. My last shot at goal, I was lining up the kick. And as I came in to kick and the impact of the my boot hitting the ball, I dropped to the ground and I had a serious injury. And my groin had just um, it had actually torn off my pubic bone. And I just fell to the ground wow. in <laughs> extreme agony. And this is my third World Cup, and I'd had two failed World Cups. We'd done so much work around the psychology. We, I just felt like we were destined to finally win a World Cup. I was 28. I was in the prime of my career. Everything was going so well. I thought, this is my time. This is my moment. And, and then for it to all be taken away by such a serious injury, I was, I was devastated. So I rushed off to the, uh, the, the medical center where I had scans, um, so I was with my my doctor and and then the specialist, my doctor, was like, do you want to see the results? And I was like, no. I knew in my mind that my dream was over. This is, and I'm a firm believer that things happen for a reason. But this was going to be my last World Cup, and all those thoughts of why me, why now, why such a serious injury? Nothing made sense in my mind at all. Everything had just been taken away from me. I jumped in the car to go back to the hotel. Um, and halfway on the journey back to the hotel, I 
hey, Doc, you know, is my World Cup dream over? And she's like, yes. And I just burst into tears. I cried all the way back to the hotel, went to my room. You know, players would come through, coaches would come through to, but they couldn't say anything. There's nothing that they could say could change this. And mm. it was just like dead silence every time uh, someone came in. You know, it was it was nice to know that they were thinking of me and make the effort to come, and and that helped. But I was distraught, so I was, I was angry, I was sad, I was you know, disappointed at all the emotions you know running through my body, and, um, but then you know after a couple of days I was like, well hold on, like, you know what does an all black great do in situations like this? So that my purpose really helped me through uh, through this the setback. What does an all-black great do? That's right, an all-black great rehabs this injury better than anyone's rehabbed this injury before. An all-black great um, resets goals. You know, you said that an all-black great needs to play for 10 years or longer. So I signed a new contract to play for another four years in New Zealand um, to get me through to another World Cup. Um, and also an all-black great puts the team first. So what does the team need me to do now? Well, I'm injured, so I need to help the player played in my position. He went on to get injured as well, so they brought in another player, so I had to help him. He got injured. He went to a four-string number 10, and it's a great story because um, the four-string number 10 went on to kick uh, the winning goal in the World Cup final. But through that process, there were some great tools and learnings to help me deal with resilience. The first one was the importance to, to grieve. Mm. So far too often... I see people have a really setback disappointment and they just, they move on really positive. Ah, oh, it's not that important. Oh, not, it's not that important. Oh, actually, right. No, no, really positive mindset straight away. And I've seen that it, you know, bites them in the ass uh, further down the track because yeah. they don't deal with your emotions straight away. So yeah. it's important to grieve, deal with your emotions. So much so that when I have an injury, my wife knows to stay away from me for 24 hours because I'm not <laughs> a nice person to be around. Yeah. I'm grumpy, I'm angry, I'm just dealing, processing it all. Yeah. But there needs to be, you need to flick the switch at some stage. So for me, it was 24 hours and with depending on the, the severity of the setback, it can be a little bit longer. But there's no point me moping around the hotel room for the next two weeks feeling sorry for myself. So I do that for 24 hours, I flick the switch. That's when I change my mindset into a positive one. Okay, what are the the goals that I want to to set now that I've injured? Whether it's your rehab or longer term of uh, in four years time. So I reset my goals. So that's another really important thing of of dealing dealing with a setback. Um, so it's that's really helped me, and and I had this new motivation to to bounce back uh, from from this injury. Yeah. Uh, 2012, I got named. 12 months later, you know, World Rugby Player of the Year. So I I returned and had a fantastic year. 2015 Rugby World Cup was one of my sort of best uh, Rugby World Cups that I ever played. You know, sort of man of the match performance, the Rugby World Cup final. I was able to bounce back. All of a sudden, four years earlier when things weren't making any sense, they all made sense now. Mm. Um, all those moments and setbacks were built up to make me a stronger, more motivated um, player and in 2015. So I kind of sit across from you today knowing that, uh, you know, the person that I am today, a lot more sort of resilient and have the tools to help deal with with resilience is, is uh, because of, of those setbacks that, that I had through my career. Love it. 
Um, we've got a couple of minutes left before you have to go. I wonder if we can flick to the back of the book and talk through some of the exercises that you recommend people people go over. Um, so I'm just going to read some of these and then I just love your duty to just riff on these as sort of like why, why we've added these exercises in. Absolutely. Um, so um, question number one, what are, th what are the three positive words that best describe you? And what are the three positive words you would like people to say about you when describing your character? That's an interesting question. Like what's the rationale behind, behind that? Yeah, I think um, it's nice to think about sort of positive and the, and the direction that you're you're wanting to go. It's like it's an aspirational thing. Yeah, um, and it's determined by someone else. It's not you saying, um, "I'm caring, I'm kind, I'm hardworking." It's words that people you want people to say of you because similar to your purpose you know if you're in that conversation of the, those things um that people are saying about you it's clearly that's um what what you're portraying so it's just a, it's a thing to, to kind of challenge you a little bit about um the type of person that that you you want to be seen as nice um question four where do you want to be in five years and in one year so I guess the question there is, so you've got your purpose, which is to be an all black, all black great. And then are you thinking about like, what does the five-year version of this look like? What does the one-year version look like? Yeah, I mean, and, and it depends sort of what stage you, uh, people are in, in, in their career. Um, but like we've talked about, your, your purpose isn't something that you can achieve in one year or five years. So you need to, to kind of set goals and, and targets. And, and that's why having those two sort of one year and, and five year targets of you know, kind of where you want to be, that's in line with, with your purpose. Uh, so there are kind of goals that you're, you're striving towards um, that, that you're wanting to achieve that's aligned with, with your purpose. Nice. Question eight, what is your one word equity? What is a one-word equity? Yes, it's an interesting one, and I talk about it uh, sort of in detail in in the book. But it's it's like um, it's almost like a I don't want to say a spirit animal, but you know, it's like what is the the one thing that that really defines you? You know, your character. You know, for example, my my wife's uh, one-word equity is is nurturer. Like she just nurtures our family, the children. She's constantly wanting to 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 look after and care and, and grow uh, the people uh, around her. Yeah. Uh, my one word equity is uh, ambassador. And when you think of ambassador, it's you think, oh, okay, ambassador for a lot of uh, you know companies and sponsorship deals. But no, like I'm an ambassador uh, for New Zealand. You know, like I, I'm really proud about where I come from. An ambassador for what I think is the best sport in the world, rugby. Yeah. Uh, I'm an ambassador for, uh, you know, for for family. I'm an ambassador for um, various things, and that's just up. Oh, I'm ambassador for for, for winning. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's your your one word equity. It's just one word that can, in a way, sort of define uh, who you are. And I guess it's season specific. Because I guess you weren't always your one word wasn't always ambassador. No, definitely not. It's it's where I'm at sort of right now. Like as a rugby player, I was I wasn't uh, yeah. <laughs> my one word equity wasn't uh, an ambassador, yeah. and it's something you know every couple of years you want you want to go back and uh, yeah. So those questions at the back of the book are, are where you're at right now, and I would challenge people to open up 
the book in another two years or three years and see whether those things are still relevant because your journey will, will change and evolve and, and those question, the answers to those questions will, will evolve and, and change over time as well. And then final question, uh, one thing that you've alluded to a few times in our conversation, you said one of my core values is dot, dot, dot. Um, any tips? How does, like if someone's reached the end of this episode, you know, they've, they've been listening to us for the last almost two hours, how might they go about figuring out what their core values are? Just writing things down um, that you want to live by. You know, for me, a uh, value could be work conquers all. I know it's it's a really sort of general thing and uh, there's a lot of things that, that help you, you conquer things, but work ethic is a really important value for me. So it's just a constant reminder that I need to be putting uh, putting in the work. So just writing, you know, start with a list of whether it's six values that you want to live by. So basically you can get to the end of the week yeah. and you've got your, your core values, uh, whether it's six, eight, two, whatever it is. Um, you know, do I live by those today? You know, health is wealth, you know, could be another one. So did I make good choices around sort of my health uh, health this week? You know, did I eat well? Did I do my exercise? Whatever it is. No, I didn't. Okay, well, you know, is this something that's important to me in my life? Yes. Well, then why aren't you living, uh, you know, those values, just having a, a list of, of your core values that, that you live by uh, each and every day? Sick. Dan, mate, this has been absolutely fantastic. Um, I, uh, I've got some homework, some homework from this episode. So this weekend, I'm going to do the exercises in the back. So I'm committing to this on, on air and I'll share them with our Telegram community. If anyone's interested in the free link down below to our Telegram community, I'm going to start doing the weekly review. Um, and I'm going to figure out what is the poetry version of my purpose because I feel like I'm doing a lot of plumbing right now without a lot of poetry. And so just getting that mindset shift I think will be super helpful. Any final words of wisdom for anyone who's, uh, who's, who's still with us? <laughs> no, thank you. Um, obviously, thank you for listening. Uh, the fact that we're end of the, the podcast and for those people that have made it all the way to the end, I appreciate uh, uh, you listening. And these aren't, these learnings aren't, you know, like set in stone. It's not like you have to do this, this, this yeah. and this in order to, to win and be successful. These are just some of the learnings that I've learned through my career um, and hopefully there's something in there in the book, The Art of Winning, that can really resonate with you and help you be the best version of yourself and and really help with uh, you know that, that personal growth that they're all uh, striving towards. Brilliant. Dan, thank you so much. And guys, if you are listening or watching to this, this is a sick book, The Art of Winning. We'll put a link down in the video description in the show notes. You can see I've got my little tags, got little highlights if you happen to be watching this on YouTube. And yeah, I'm going to be annotating the hell out of it in terms of these sort of final questions at the end where I'm like, cool, I'm going to carve out a few hours to really think about this because I really think this is this is what I'm missing in terms of like, yeah, figuring out these big questions of direction. Oh, so Dan, that's, that's thank very you so kind. much. Thank you so much for the, the support of the book. It's It's been a great process over the last couple of years. Writing it and a huge amount of support from the publishers. Um, also, the ghostwriter, Steve, yeah. did a fantastic job of getting my tone of voice. And just to see, you know, the, it's only been out in the bookshelves for a couple of months, but just to see some of the re the reviews, some of the comments that um, the, the readers are writing. Jeez, yeah. I'm getting people that are resigning from their job um, <laughs> yeah. after reading it because, you know, they, they realize they're not getting that fulfillment or, or yeah. purpose and what they currently 
uh, have in their life and and are taking control of their life and 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 moving forward um, with with this new motivation. Yeah. Um, so um, you've been nothing but sort of supportive of the book. So I really appreciate that. No, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. All right, so that's it for this week's episode of Deep Dive. Thank you so much for watching or listening. All the links and resources that we mentioned in the podcast are going to be linked down in the video description or in the show notes, depending on where you're watching or listening to this. If you're listening to this on a podcast platform, then do please leave us a review on the iTunes store. It really helps other people discover the podcast. Or if you're watching this in full HD or 4K on YouTube, then you can leave a comment down below and ask any questions or any insights or any thoughts about the episode. That would be awesome. And if you enjoyed this episode, you might like to check out this episode here as well, which links in with some of the stuff that we talked about in the episode. So thanks for watching. Uh, Do hit the subscribe button if you aren't already, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.